Grace to you in peace and welcome. You're listening to Second on the Mount, a podcast of sermons from Second Presbyterian Church in beautiful Roanoke, Virginia. My name is Ben Brannan, Associate Pastor for Youth and Young Adults. And each week it is our hope that from the pulpit, God will twist and mold our words to land upon the listener's ears in a meaningful way that will inspire faith, encourage hope, and cultivate love in action. Thanks for tuning in. We're so glad you're here with us. Please subscribe and share, and I pray that through our words, you may grow closer to God. Let us pray. Holy God, a trinity of everything good, right, and just, Set this moment aside to be an experience with your holy word, the word made flesh, so that in hearing we may believe and believing obey. And by the power of your Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O triune God, creator, redeemer, sustainer. Amen. Our passage for today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the ending of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. If you'd like to follow along, it'd be found on New Testament page 806 in your pew Bible. Listen for God's word. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember... I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There have been moments since Camden was born when Valerie and I look at each other with a look. A look that is followed with one of us saying something to the effect of, who put us in charge? Like, seriously, think about it. We leave the hospital with this new human being that is solely our responsibility. We're responsible for keeping him fed and clean and then teaching this little human how to eat, walk, talk, and eventually live as an autonomous contributing being. Like, who put us in charge? I mean, we read some books. We followed Instagram accounts on parenting. We talked with family and friends who recently became parents, but nothing, and I mean nothing, prepares you for that moment when there is a diaper explosion. (laughs) Nothing prepares you for that moment when your baby cries and cries and cries and you just don't know why. Nothing can prepare you for the exhaustion of midnight feedings and then 2 a.m. feedings, and then 4 a.m. feedings, only to find that your son spits up every drop of that only 1.5 ounces you patiently work to maneuver into his belly for the past 40 minutes. Nothing can prepare you. 
Nothing can prepare you for the moment when they begin to scoot out of their baby rocker and you find him hanging off the side ready to land on the not-so-soft floors of your living room. Nothing prepares you for the constant supervision that is needed when they start to put everything in their mouth, and I mean everything in their mouth, wondering what snack he just ate that made his mouth turn purple. And then you look in the corner of the room and you see an open box of sidewalk chalk. (laughs) Who put us in charge? There will always be moments in life when we are put in charge, moments when we are given the opportunity, no matter how big or small, to teach and lead, even when we feel unprepared and unqualified. In what is known as the Great Commission, Jesus puts the disciples in charge and gives them one final set of instructions. Go, make, baptize, teach. Earlier in his ministry, Jesus sent out the twelve and gave them the authority to cast out demons and unclean spirits, heal the sick, and proclaim the good news that the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus had been doing this alongside the disciples, or rather, I should say, the disciples had been doing this alongside Jesus. But Jesus was the only teacher. Teaching was a distinguishing mark of his ministry. Jesus was the teacher. The disciples were not. Now with this final commissioning, the disciples are now put in charge of teaching. The disciples and really all of his followers are now called to continue Jesus' ministry of teaching. They are to do what Jesus had been doing and saying, and now with more far-reaching effect, sending them out to all nations. Looking into this passage, Terry Ott imagines the disciples in this moment looking at each other, much like Valerie and I looked at each other and saying, who, me? Because as she says, To accept the role of teacher assumes we have some sort of expertise, some wisdom to share. But no one feels like an expert in the Christian faith, or at least they shouldn't. Ott then points to Mark DeVries and Trey Wentz, who co-wrote about preparing young adults for leadership in the church in an Outlook article titled, Can I Have the Keys? Their article helps articulate the reluctance to give young people, the next generation, real responsibility and opportunities to learn by trying and sometimes failing, give them opportunities in the church, a place that is dedicated to fostering their potential. DeVries and Wentz speak to the point that investing in the leadership of the next generation and passing on responsibility to the next generation before they're actually ready is biblical. Moses, Gideon, Samuel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, even Amos and Jonah all were called and commissioned and sent to do a task that they were not ready for. A big task they felt they were unqualified for. 
And then here in the Gospels, the disciples are called and commissioned to big tasks, expected to preach and cast out demons. And they didn't even go to seminary. DeVries and Wentz go on to say, the disciples preached that all should repent, an echo of Jesus' first sermon. And you know, now repent, of course, literally means to change the mind. So is anyone in a better position to invite change than the young who just don't know any better? When I was the assistant camp director for YMCA Camp Cherokee, I would have this elevator speech on why camping is important. It went like this. Kids no longer are afforded many opportunities to try new things, to experience something different and given permission to fail. Residential summer camp provides such opportunities and experiences to try new things and sometimes fail, all the while having the support and guidance and love of someone that is not their parent or school teacher. Wouldn't you want your child to develop the courage and resilience and really their vulnerability to step into uncomfortable but safe situations knowing they have the support of a young role model? If so, then camp just might be the place for them. And as the assistant camp director, I was in charge of all summer programming. I was in charge of training our summer staff as well. And I had the expectation, it was expected that by the time summer camp began, our staff would be able to do three things. Keep our campers safe, give them fun and memorable moments, and teach them life lessons. And that is a big task for high schoolers. But I loved staff trainings because in that moment, I lived into this calling to teach. But to be honest, this was not the case as the summer went along. As the weeks came and went, I became too focused on getting tasks done, on doing it the right way, which of course most of the time was my way, and doing it fast. I mean, it takes time to teach people to do something, to demonstrate how to do it, and to coach through situations no matter how simple or complex. So throughout the summer, I just handled things myself. And most of the time frustrated that no one knew how to do it or that even it needed to be done. And sometimes it's the same in our churches. It may be our own hesitancy to teach that hinders the next generation of leaders from gaining experience and being given opportunities to lead. Perhaps because it takes time, but maybe it is because taking the role of teacher is a humbling and vulnerable position. It exposes what we don't know, the questions we can't answer, the skills we have yet to develop, but discipleship is rarely a call to stay in our comfort zone. If you ask teachers, especially teachers in the church, what is one thing they enjoy about teaching, you will most likely get an answer like this. I love teaching because of how much I learn along the way. 
Much like the disciples and the early church, as we teach, we gain a better understanding of what we believe. We become more comfortable in sharing our beliefs, and through practice, we develop the ability to ask different and deeper questions, to look beyond the surface for meaning and connection. And teaching goes beyond the classroom. Jesus charged his disciples from the first church to today to go, make, baptize, teach. Go, leave your comfort zone, make. This is to be in relationship with others. Baptize, call others into the family of God and teach. Humble yourselves in the way of Christ and relinquish control so that others may come to better understand the good news of the gospel. We're all unqualified, but in Jesus' call and commission to the church, you can take heart because there's also a promise. And the promise is that we are not alone. The holy trio of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit goes with us. It is a promise that the God of creation, the maker of heaven and earth, the part of God who is larger and more powerful than all things and beyond all logic and reason is with you. It is a promise that the God of redemption, the part of God who is known in human form, who let go of control and took on our frailty to feel as we feel, who entered into our human condition of pain and suffering to set us free from such pain and suffering. The God who is Emmanuel, God with us, is always with you. It is a promise that the God of sustaining power, the part of God who swirled over the waters at creation and is still swirling within us, among us, and around us today, the part of God who is transformation, lighting hearts on fire just as it did at Pentecost, is with you. It is a promise. Because Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age. Friends, I stand here today wondering, who am I that the triune God would call me? I stand along the disciples and I worship, but sometimes doubt creeps in and I have learned that that's okay. Because I'm reminded from our passage that the disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. You see, with only a word from the women who went to the tomb, the disciples went to the place. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were the first to share the gospel, and that gospel is simply Christ is risen. And with those three little but powerful words, the disciples went. They believed enough to go to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. They showed up, not knowing exactly what was going on or what to expect. And there, they encountered Jesus. They encountered 
the risen Lord. Beloved, Christ is risen. So go to the place Jesus is calling you, wherever that place may be. And there may too you encounter Jesus, encounter the risen Lord. Step into the challenge of the call, to the nerve-wracking nature of something new, knowing that it is okay to fail. Because the triune God, the God who is creator, redeemer, and sustainer, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is with you, supporting you and guiding you along the way. May it be so. Amen. Second Presbyterian, finding direction by following Jesus.